Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, everybody. I hope you all are doing well and stocking up on candy and getting all pumped for your Halloween weekend plans. I know I am. Welcome to our final episode of our spooky season programming. I want to thank our Patreon supporters who voted, and I also want to tell them how angry I am for making me relive a part of my childhood (laughs) that scared the living daylights out of me. Um, When the American remake of The Ring came out in 2002, I was about 10 years old, and this movie was notorious in middle school. Even though it was PG-13, everyone talked about how it was supposed to be the scariest movie they've ever seen, and all their older siblings were, like, terrified of walking by the TV in their living room. And I heard legends, if you will, of, like, people my age buying tickets to a PG movie and then sneaking in somehow to the theater where they were playing the screening of The Ring. So this movie had a very, very notorious and vivid reputation. And I remember watching it, I was probably 15, 16, and it scared the living you-know-what out of me. I know many people talk about how, like, after she gets you the faces that they put in the film, like, I can't, I couldn't unsee those for weeks. And even after re-watching this film a few weeks ago, like, I still can't unsee them. But it's interesting, because I always heard the original Ringu from 1998 was really, really scary and even scarier than the remake. But I watched it for the first time and I really liked the movie. I want to preface that. I thought it was really well made and I enjoyed watching it, but it wasn't really scary. I don't know how else to put it. Maybe I should more specifically say it didn't scare me. And even though the remake wasn't scary scary, there were a few jump scares, and of course there's the iconic ending scene where she comes out of the TV, I still, like, gasped, and I felt a little uneasy, and this is one of the few horror movies I've, like, asked my boyfriend to watch with me because I was a little nervous about watching it myself, and even he admitted that he got up to go to the bathroom that night, and he was a little bit nervous about seeing the girl coming out of the well, like, around any of the corners on the way to the bathroom. So I started thinking about how much memory plays into our fears and fears play into our memory, especially with films, because I forget where I read this. I think I've heard it a couple of different places, but there is something about our brains where you're able to process images three to five times faster than anything you hear. And film is primarily a visual medium, which is why I think it's so important in our culture and why it sticks with people so much, especially with horror films. So it started getting me to think about why one film was scarier than the other, and is it because I grew up watching one or have a memory of one that made it live in my brain as this very scary thing? So 
Let's get into that discussion and what that says about how fear affects our memory when we take a look at 1998's Ringu from Hideo Nakata and the American 2002 remake The Ring from Gore Verbinski. Before you die, you see the ring. So the film Ringu is actually based on a novel by Koji Suzuki, which was published in 1991 and had, I would say, a moderate level of success when it came out in Japan. And it's interesting, when researching the production of this film, the production sounds pretty similar to our American 50s B-movies, where it was mostly funded by the director, it was made really quickly, entirely in a nine-month span, from writing the script to releasing it, and was made for a very, very tiny budget of just about one million American dollars, which is a very common story you hear with a lot of the 50s B-movies that end up becoming classics that we've talked about on this show. And when it came out, the film was hugely, hugely successful in Japan. And interestingly enough, the film was so popular in Korea, it actually outgrossed The Matrix that year in cinemas. And in later years, it's not only gotten an American release, but also gotten a Blu-ray, and a lot of indie American film critics picked up on it and started spreading the word about it on YouTube. One of those reviewers who did a really, I thought, in-depth thorough review is Chris Stuckman, who brought up a really good point about why the movie works just as a movie in his review. There's a tragic sense to the story that unfolds that makes it feel more impactful than just some scary thing someone watches on a tape. The main couple and their past is always something that's very central to their characters, and the film has a really good sense of tragedy. And that's really what makes this movie work beyond just the scare element. There's a very sad feeling to things that you uncover in this film. I think another really interesting reason why not only this iteration of the film, but the concept of the story just intrinsically works, comes from the writer Colette Balmain, who wrote a paper titled Intro to Japanese Horror. And one of the things she points out about this film is that it, quote unquote, embodies contemporary anxieties in that it is technology through which the repressed past reasserts itself. And it makes you think about how memory is such a powerful thing and it can force us to revisit things in a very visceral sense, even when you don't want to. Uh, BBC Future did this really interesting study on how moments of fear increase our body's ability to recall it, not just the kind of mental, I was here and I was doing this and then this happened, but the physical connection is so powerful because it's rooted in fear. It's interesting when you think about the fact that the novel was written around the time of the tech boom of the late 80s in Japan, and it really makes you think about how we may be progressing, but we're programmed still the same, and we can't forget about where we came from, no matter how scary and awful it is. Which is a big concept for, if you think about it, a very simple concept for a horror film. And I started wondering, as Carrie Bradshaw would say, and I couldn't help but wonder, but it did get me thinking about how does this play out in the American version? And 
One thing I would preface about these films is that even though they're almost exactly the same, and they do actually go for a lot of the same scares, it's different in a lot of key ways. I think one thing that's a big difference is that the American version makes the deaths just the most infinitesimal fraction gorier or more kind of gross and classic horror movie not by much they really don't do much more than the original Ringu did but it's so effing scary and there's so much more of a sense of like decay and death and a body kind of rotting from the inside and you can really see the fear that they had when they died I will fully acknowledge that some of that was budgetary reasons even though The Ring was a fairly low budget film had a not not extremely high budget. It was made for about $48 million, as opposed to Ringu, which, as we discussed before, was made for about a million dollars. But it was more of the style of the deaths that were so scary. There's also a lot more of an overall feeling of decay and death with this very extreme blue-green overtone that Gore Verbinski and cinematographer Bojan Bazelli, I am so sorry if I am completely butchering his name, gave to the film. I also think what's interesting is that the feeling of isolation is really strengthened in this film. For example, in Ringu, there's a fairly strong family life with Reiko, the main character that we follow. She has her dad, and she seems to have a pretty good relationship with her son and is there for her sister. But the American film version, Rachel, the character played by Naomi Watts, has much less of a family life and also definitely has a distance from her son, which I think really bumps up the themes of how isolated we are from each other. Also, one change that I think really, really made a huge difference is that in the American version, Samara seems a good deal younger than Sadako, her Japanese counterpart, maybe because she was played by an adult in the original version, but the fact that she's like a 10-year-old zombie girl crawling out of a well and killing people <laughs> makes it even creepier. I don't know, just put kids in long white dresses and have them stare at you, make them pale, and you've creeped me out. I don't know, maybe that's just my thing. But I think overall, the biggest difference here is that I have a memory of this film and a memory of how much it scared me when I first watched it. And I think that was so effective in reliving that fear, whereas Ringu, granted there might have been some other factors like Ringu I watched on my computer screen and I could hear the TV my boyfriend was watching in the other room. So I do want to acknowledge that there were some of those factors, but I don't have a very strong feeling to recall when watching Ringu as I do when I watch The Ring. And there's actually a scientific term from this. There was an article published in the Concordia St. Paul University website that talks about the concept of excitation transfer, which happens when you watch a horror movie. And what that is, is the theory that people who experience a response to horror films also experience more enjoyment when threats are resolved, 
So it's the idea of, I'm just going to use Halloween as an example. You're so, so tense when you're trying to figure out if Michael Myers is going to kill Laurie Strode. But then when he, for the moment, is defeated and you get the sense that Laurie Strode is safe, because the fear was so intense, the relief is just as intense. And I remember that feeling of the it's all going to be okay moment of this film. I will fully admit that part of one of the reasons I probably still have a very strong reaction to this film is I watched it when I was a hormonal teenager. So my emotions were cranked up to like 15 at all times. But I do think the concept of excitation transfer is really important in this because again, it's that physical memory that you're recalling. And it's interesting with this film too, because I think about how the images have been imprinted in my mind, similar to how the victims of Samara dies in the original novel. They talk about the way she kills her victims as she wills the images into their brains and the images of fear and anger and all of these horrible things are so much for the human body to take. It basically burns and rots from the inside out. And it feels like kind of a less deathly version of that with horror films and why we love horror because it's a physical interaction with a movie because your body is physically reacting to it and they live in our memories because of how strongly we feel. You can pick something, I don't care. Any idea how many electro rays are traveling through our head every second? I got a better one. Mm. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? What kind of tape? A tape. A regular tape. People run it, I don't know. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. Then suddenly, this woman comes on, smiling at you, right? Seeing you through the screen. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you've watched it. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. I could go on and on about these movies, and I could go on and on about horror film. But I think in order to save everybody some time and some wherewithal. I am going to wrap it up here and thank you guys again for listening and for tuning into our spooky season programming. As always, we'd love if you could like us, follow us, and of course, let us know what you think about all of these episodes and all these films you talk about on social media and support us on Patreon. Hyperlinks below. Next month, we're going to get into some more non-horror fare. We're even going to be looking at a couple of movie to TV series. We got some awesome guest stars coming up and we've got some exciting stuff planned for you. So... With that, have a very happy and fun Halloween. Stay safe and keep watching movies. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Ferriolo Fencing, LLC, Marianne O'Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. 
The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl, press play.